Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donsig alongside my co-host Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise Podcast is now streaming on midtownradio.ca Saturdays at 10 a.m. Our topics for today's episode are the Red Sox punishment, Yasiel Puig, our NFL draft day one recap and analysis, Tom Brady and Gronk reunited in Tampa Bay, our award winners for the NBA season, plus first round predictions, as well as an analysis for the playoffs, and our reaction to the IIHF unveiling the groups for the 2020 Olympic men and women's hockey teams. Let's begin in the NFL because it was an interesting day one for the NFL draft, of course, the first virtual draft being held uh, because of obviously COVID-19. But there wasn't, there was a lot of, um, there was, there's not a lot of surprises, obviously, in the first round. There was a lot of, everyone knew Joe Burrow was going number one, Chase two, Chase Young is going to go number two. The Pakuda was a bit of a surprise, not really. But the biggest surprise, I think, was Packers. The Packers were drafting Jordan Love. Could it be a possible, possible replacement for Aaron Rodgers in a few years, in like two years or so? Like, what are your thoughts there? I thought it was an interesting move for the Packers uh, because um, Aaron Rodgers, I think they believe in him, and clearly he's shown he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And they they were saying in a statement, um, actually, because of all the yeah. all the reaction the fans have been getting, they said in a statement that, Aaron Rodgers is still their number one. He's still yeah. going to be their guy for a few years down the road, which honestly makes me confused a little further on the choice of their pick. I mean, if you're going to stick with your guns for the next however many years, wouldn't you rather draft now to help him out now and then worry about figuring out quarterback situation a bit later on if you're going to keep him for a few years? Or I was just a bit confused by that move. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, because I was reading some of the comments of some of the Instagram posts and saying, well, instead of drafting a quarterback, like if you are, the reason why you draft a replacement is because he is going to replace him, like he's going to take over, like he's going to learn for a year, and then he's going to take over. Like similar to the Patrick Holmes, Alex Smith situation, where Alex Smith then left after year one, <clears throat> Patrick Holmes took over and ended up being, well, he is now probably one of the faces of the NFL and the future of the NFL in my mind. So if you aren't going to do that, then don't draft a quarterback. Draft a wide receiver or draft an offensive tackle. Give him talent around. Give him support so that he can be successful over the next yeah. last few years of his career. Because I like I see him still being like obviously he's in he's had a few minor like minor major injuries. So he I'd say he only has about four or five years left. But in those four or five years, if you aren't going to give him talent to work with, or if you're just going to give him a replacement, it doesn't look well on you guys because it's like if you're going to pick with Aaron, if you're going to stick with Aaron Rodgers, then stick with him. And then you then give them talent. So it's just, it's it's very confusing in my mind. So especially because as well they've lost a lot of veteran talent in the past few years. You think about like how I don't think they still have I don't think they have Jordy Nelson anymore and nope. like guys like that who they've already lost. So you want more they, players. They only have Devontae Adams. They lost Jimmy Graham this year, which wasn't too big of a loss because Jimmy Graham is getting up there in age and his production isn't as strong. But still, you're losing a veteran tight end that has leadership around the team. So I and you're think losing it's, a guy it's that's an interesting choice. So. Yeah, you're losing a guy that uh, Aaron Rodgers knows how to pass to, right? And mm-hmm. you're if you really want, like, it would make sense to draft younger replacements for those guys that have left because mm-hmm. now you have uh, good wide receivers, good running backs that could fill in and take over for those vets that have left. But instead you draft a young quarterback who – maybe ready in two years but you don't want to go to him and let until maybe four or five years down the road 
right? So it really was a confusing move by the Packers to draft a young quarterback who they don't expect to use for another four or five years when he could probably play for a worse team either next year or the year after. Yeah, it's interesting as well to see what, uh, like, like, moving on to some other things as well, of course, that Tua Tagaloa, uh, he was drafted fifth overall to the Dolphins. I know we did have a mini bet earlier on, and you said he was going to go to the Dolphins, so you got half the, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you like five bucks because you got half the bet right. You didn't, you missed on Tom Brady, but I'll give you that. But what was interesting is that they were saying, um, the score was saying that the Chargers were losers because they didn't pick Tua and they didn't trade up for him. Basically, they didn't work hard enough. They just, they settled for Justin Herbert. And they were thinking that, well, Tua's a guy that can win. Like, he's proved to be able to win. He's won national championships, so he can win in the NFL level, in my mind. And he's going to be a great fit for Miami with the talent they have as well. So I, it's an interesting move. Obviously, I, I trust Justin Herbert. Like, we don't know. Justin Herbert, obviously, from Oregon, uh, had somewhat of a good – like, he had a decently year last year to go six overall. But it was interesting. Do you think that possibly Jalen Hurts was the – well, Jalen Hurts was another possibility they were picking? Or do you think he was not in their decision process? And it was in That's their mind. Because it's, it's interesting because he's still on the board as of right now going into the second round. Um, sure. He could, could well there be picked up by the Lions, who have, I believe, the 33rd or 34th pick maybe in the uh, second yeah. round. So it's a possibility. So I just want to get your thoughts on there. Yeah, I mean, um, just based off of the, like, the quarterbacks that are available, it was kind of surprising they took who they took at that pick. And, I mean, I think they should have tried to trade up with Miami to try to yeah. get Tua because um, he does. He is, like you said, a proven guy who can help them win now rather than a few years down the road. Because what the score was trying to say was that, well, they have, they have kind of a new fan base. They want to help yeah. grow the fan. They want to sell tickets, and that would be uh, Tua would be a headline player that they could use to help win now and get yeah. their franchise off the ground. He's, he's going to sell tickets in Miami for sure. Exactly. But I think the only – I was surprised that Tua went as high as he did just slightly because of his previous injury history. Yeah, that's a good point. I think yeah. there's – I think there's – there's. it goes without saying that injuries at a young age, especially when they're where, in your teens, when you're trying to uh, build your draft potential, it's hard to overlook them in that sense. You don't know – if it could have long-term possibility, like mm-hmm. possibility of being re-aggravated, you have no idea. So I feel that the Miami Dolphins, while picking him at number five, I think is a good choice, and that I think he can play really well for them. The, you have to also consider the fact that when drafting him, he has had previous injuries, mm-hmm. and you don't know what the extent of that injury could be for the rest of his for for his future years so i, I mean think, um i think i think they have to take it they have to take precautions definitely They're, like the reason yeah. they still draft them because if they didn't draft them if they if, if if miami fans didn't get tua it would be a riot in miami right now i think like, it I think would they, be they had to because not only because of the fans but i think it's the right guy for them and their system but the thing is that yes you have to take precautions because yes he's had had he has had um, previous injuries, of course, as of like recently as well, this past year, like just yeah. a few months ago, he was recovering from an injury. Um, and like he sent a private workout, obviously, to all the teams and stuff. And the big one was the hip, not more so the knee, but the hip. Because obviously, as an NFL quarterback, you do take a lot of hits right to the, like, right to the chest and right to the hip. So let's say in preseason, even if he's like fully healthy, 100%, they say he's good, he takes a hit, like a real big hit. 
even if it's a penalty or not, I don't care. Like, not saying it would happen, but you know, let's say some player hits him and he re-injures that that re-injures that hit. Well, there is your franchise quarterback injured for however long with another yeah. injury, and your season has gone down. So yeah. it's really unfortunate. But like, I mean, it's really unfortunate if it would happen. I don't see it happening. I don't wish it upon to it. Tua is a great player. I want I want to see all these young players do well. But I think it's something you have to look out for as a Miami as of, of course, a, a fan of Miami and, of course, the executive of Miami of the Miami Dolphins as well. So. Yeah, and I think one other underrated kind of winner of this first-round draft is the or is my Dallas Cowboys. Personally, I think their pick with, of C.D. Lamb was uh, hugely underrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting a bit of attention from the media, like, oh, the video of, like, him taking his phone away from his girlfriend or whatever. Uh, I don't know if it was sister or girlfriend. Either way, it doesn't matter. It was his girlfriend, and basically what I had read, I saw the tweet. Basically, what was going on is that he was being FaceTimed from his agent, I think it was. Or not his, yeah. it, was some, it was something, and the girl, the girlfriend was trying to answer, but then, uh, what is it, CD is like, no, I'll just, what? So it just, it just thought, like, people just were making memes about it. It was interesting as well to see the, the story and stuff like that. But I would totally agree with you. I think they, the Cowboys got a great pickup of CD Lamb. Uh, because considering they didn't have to draft up, they CD Lamb for a lot of mock drafts was was a top ten pick. So it was interesting to see him slide to seventeen, seven picks uh, over on the uh, um, above the top ten. Um, but it's just interesting to see because I think that he does have a lot of talent, and I think based on his film that I've seen and stuff like that, and the, the season that he had, he does have a lot of potential. And I think it's a great pickup for the Dallas Cowboys, and it's another threat for another uh, wideout for Dak Prescott to throw you. Through, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was really pick. Like they weren't even expecting for him. Like I think they were saying he was like sixth on their draft board because yeah, he they weren't expecting him to fall that far. Uh, yeah, they were at just all. expecting a miracle to happen of him just falling that far. So it's and they were really lucky. And then they interest automatically were just like, yep, that's our guy right there. And I think it's a great pickup. Like you said, uh, great, uh, great new passer for Dak to uh, pass to throughout the year. And I think. Uh, as well, they're, the Cowboys are really set up now uh, just to kind of, for the rest of the draft, focus on their secondary, yeah. focus on drafting defensively, and they yeah. can their offense is now set for going going into this season for sure. Definitely. In some other news, of course, and I know this is a little bit late, but we kind of wanted to get our view on it. But of course, Tom Brady is now in top is in Tampa Bay, or also known as Tampa Bay. But also, interesting as well, Gronkowski was joining him as well. So he has come out of retirement of WWE Wrestling for, like, one event that he won. And he now got – now, what was interesting is the story is that apparently he was thinking if Tom said stayed in New England, I think he was, he was considering coming out of retirement, even, like, even if Tom was in New England because he wanted to come rejoin him. But because he's in sunny Florida or in Tampa Bay in uh, Tampa, Florida, he definitely wanted to come out of retirement and, and join him. And I think it's an interesting move. I think – uh, like I think they have a lot of star-studded uh, talent on that team, but I feel like, and I do that, and I think they have a great head coach as well, because Bruce Arians knows how to handle all that talent. He knows, because in the briefing as well, they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of big personalities, right? Like it's not like the Cleveland Browns yeah. when they just got all that talent. Like you have two seasoned veterans who have been in the NFL for an X number of years, like like a number of years, especially Tom Brady, and you have a couple of you have the young players who can be mentored by those by Rob Gronkowski, by Tom Brady, to then become greater and to have then help better the team uh, for Tampa. And I do think them I see them winning at least 10 games this next, this next season. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think I can, I can, I can see that as well. I was, um, I think the signing of uh, the Buccaneers was really 
really a surprise to a few people uh, for sure um, for compared to when the when the Tom Brady sweepstakes really started. But mm-hmm. um, I think the trade for Gronkowski was really big for him getting out yeah. of uh, New England and now going to reunite with Tom Brady. I feel like there is a bit of an effect, like obviously he is going to Tampa where weather's a bit better than New England yeah. and conditions and all that. But I think Gronk really just wanted to come play with Tom again. Um, and clearly uh, is excited to work with, a, a like you said, a experienced but also – at the same time, young Tampa Bay team. Now, my only thing with this signing is a lot of people have been saying, okay, now Tampa Bay is a Super Bowl contender. They are going to make the playoffs. They're going to do a bunch of damage. But I think that's a bit of an overrated take, in my opinion. I think think they will win probably about 10 games, like you said. Um, Maybe a bit less, maybe a bit more. Who knows? And I think they will make the playoffs, but I don't know if – they were are should be considered a Super Bowl contender because there are a lot of good teams out there, and I think that a lot of those good teams would should be considered before the Buccaneers, if you know what I mean. I, I can definitely see that point, but I do feel that like I don't know I I think they're going to win ten games. I think they'll probably make it into probably the division round or maybe the championship game, but I don't see them going to the Super Bowl because in the NFC there's better teams than in the NFC right now. There's better teams, yeah. and we all know it, right? So it's it's interesting. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see as well uh, what goes on uh, as a possibility. You have the you have the 49ers, the 49ers who just went to the Super Bowl, who yeah. definitely were still there. The Saints are still a really good team. The Rams are there. Um, of course, the Chargers maybe that might be there. I'm like, or the Chargers? No, my Chargers are AFC, right? Um, so it's, it's all kind of interesting to see what goes on. Um, and I do think that they, they do have a lot of potential, but it's hard to tell really what their true potential or what their true uh, status of winning is and stuff like that. So Yeah, and I think if the schedule makers really want to have a fun time, they should set up the matchup between um, Tampa Bay and New and a, set up a matchup between Tampa Bay and New England really early on in the season once football is back. I think if you're a schedule maker and you want to make a bunch of money for your, for the league, I think you set up a matchup between those two and see Tom Brady's return to New England, I think, if you really want to. He's a bit of a party pooper, but um, I think the schedule has already been released for home and away opponents because they've been putting it out for for schedule. Yeah. Well, I don't see that, so that's my bad. But It's it's all good, yeah. I know as of recently, I don't know, I'm guessing, you know what they probably did? They probably even slipped in before even Tom Brady signed. They said, you know what, we'll put Tampa Tampa against New England because we think Tom Tom is going to sign there. So, anyways, this wraps up our draft day one recap and analysis plus our reaction to Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Moving on over into some MLB news, of course, the Red Sox have been punished for their 2019 sign-stealing scandal, so they lost a second or 2020 second-round pick. Uh, the replay system operator JT Watkins and manager Alex Cora for one year each have been banned. The question is, is this too weak, and how does this compare to the Astros' punishment as well? What are your thoughts here? Personally, personally I think that the Astros', the Astros punishment was a bit weak, and I think they deserved a bit more, but... I can see how the MLB was kind of testing the waters with what they can kind of do in their power um, because we haven't seen anything like this before. But then when they released the punishments for the, Ast- uh, for the Red Sox, excuse me, uh, here with the loss of a 2020 second round pick, I mean, if you're going to get rid of a pick and they don't have a first round pick, you might as well get rid of their second, pound- second round pick. I get that. You suspend their system operator, JT Watkins and, mm-hmm. and Alex Cora. 
for a year each makes sense. But personally, I feel like there should have been at least, um, at least an at least another fine in there somewhere. Or do you think, do you think they should have been fined? Yeah, I, I would agree some, with you. I think some sort of I fine, think, or or maybe mm-hmm. a couple more draft picks. I don't know. I feel like it's something missing. I feel from this punishment to kind of send a message to the league saying, okay, we need to crack down on this before anything happens. I think I think both the punishments were a little too weak because if anything, when you have a when you have some when you have a uh, scandal such like this. Obviously not as – I think it's just as huge as probably the steroid scandal. But I think you have to bring down the hammer and you have to show people we're done with scandals. Like, we do not want to be marked as a league that have scandals. You've had now the steroid scandal. You've had now two science-stealing scandals. So at this point, usually like, – or now at this point, when you had the science-stealing scandals, you should have had probably a five – like a $7 million fine. Some players – and I, I know we've debated this before, but I still feel that if any players were in close contact to knowing about it and didn't say anything about it, they should be punished as well. You gotta take take a pay cut. That's all I care. Take a pay cut, get a fifty percent salary or no pay for like a month, because I'm sure they can handle it. They've got millions of dollars. They can they can go without pay for a month, unless they have like massive houses that they need mortgage payments. But still, like I think that players should be punished because if they knew about this, like if players didn't know about this and like it was just all the managers and everyone else kind of secretly, like obviously the players had to know about it because they were the ones in on it. So that I still feel that there should be some type of punishment for the players because it's not fair just for an, a manager to be punished for his players. Like the full fire the coach, fire the team, right? Like you can't fire the team, you got to fire the coach. You got to punish the coach, you got to punish the manager because you can't punish the players. You can punish the players. They, they should be able to punish the players in some way because this is just not fair to the manager. Like I understand he's part of it, but the players need to be punished for their actions if they are part of it. That's how I feel. Yeah. I feel like there definitely should have been some sort of action for the players. Uh, even with the Astros one, there should have yeah, been definitely. Uh, punishment for the players. The only thing I can see why the MLB didn't have as big of a punishment as I think they should have for the Red Sox is because there was not conclusive evidence. There was not yeah. 100% evidence of the Red Sox, and that's why there was not as big of a punishment. But I think still there should have been a bit of a hammer thrown down to say, okay, yes, there yes we don't have conclusive evidence but the intentions were still there yeah of that cheating so i feel like there should have been at least maybe another second round pick in the future or a first round pick in the future maybe another fine on top of that and some form of pay reduction maybe for the players either like every player for example gets like a i don't know 500k or 500k fine for example yeah. like from that from that team and i think that would be yeah. I mean, there would be a bit of backlash, I think, from the players association, obviously. But yeah, they would fight back. But like, yeah, what are you going to fight back? Oh, I'm sorry. Like, we didn't realize that our players were involved. Like, our players were involved. Yes, your players were involved. If your players were involved in a science stealing scandal, they should be punished. Like, they need to be exactly. punished in some way. And I think it's it's wrong for the. I understand the MLB maybe not want to go after the the players association because they want to start a war. They don't want to start a war between the two between the MLB and the MLB players association. But sometimes you have to start a war to get the to get a point proven. So you know what? we're fine to go to war because we're going to win the war and we're going to prove. Well, obviously they can vote against, but so they need you have to you have to in the future any other scandals. I think like to this magnitude of uh, uh, any other scandals you have to find the players if the players are involved in any way in the future there has to be player involvement there has to be player punishment and that's that's my mind about it so yeah i i I agree with that i think in the future i think the mlb will kind of take this and say okay we didn't put down we clearly we didn't throw down a big enough hammer and if 
if teams take this as say, okay, we can, we can get away with stuff like this easier. I think the next time something like this comes up, the punishment will be much greater than we've seen in the, with the previous two. I think that if, if teams take this the wrong way and say, okay, now we can try to get away with more things. Yeah, then I the, think MLB the, MLB, speak and the MLB doesn't like doesn't punish it's like doesn't punish with yeah. much force, but it's like then it may open the door for other people, other teams to be to punish like to to, to um break the law, like break the rules and stuff like that as well. Yeah, if, 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 the, if the rep the MLB has is that okay, we'll give you a punishment, but it's not too bad. Then yeah. teams are still going to be like okay, if it's not too bad, then we can still run the whisk and win a World yeah. Series, mm-hmm. that, right? Definitely. Alrighty, moving on to some other news. Of course, Yasuel Peak is still a top free agent, or he's a top free agent, still available on the market. Reportedly was offered a contract by the Miami Marlins, but turned it down because it was too cheap. It was too cheap for him. Who should pick him up, Evan? Who is, uh, who, who is on your radar for Yasuel Peak? Which, what teams are on your radar for Yasuel Peak? Yasuel Peak is a very interesting player because he reminds me of a bit like uh, P.K. Subban in the NHL, where he's a big personality guy and mm-hmm. loves the spotlight. Yeah, and he is a, he is a pretty good outfielder. He's fast. He plays good defense, and he's a pretty good hitter. And I'm surprised, honestly, he hasn't been picked up by a team yet. The Miami Marlins obviously tried to offer him a contract, but he turned it down because it was too cheap. Which honestly surprised me because the Marlins do have some money to play with right now. And if they offer, yeah, what, what was that? Did you know what the contract was, or was it like was the it contract just... has not been reported? I don't think about exact money wise right now. Okay. But either way, it was too little for Puig. And yeah. I mean, I can understand why he might um, uh, not take a deal like that because some teams like will really lowball a free agent if they're still available. And I can understand. Um, the Miami Marlins trying to take a chance at him. But I think if the Marlins really wanted him, they would have given him a bit more. Uh, uh, even if he reject, like say he re- say like he did, he rejects this contract. Yeah, I think the Miami Marlins still try to go after him personally. They need at least um, some form of player to bring in. Uh, they got to sell tickets next season, right? Like, mm-hmm. you do have a lot of good young players in Miami, but at the same time, I feel like they need a guy who, like a veteran, like Yasiel Puig, who has a bit of a bigger bigger personality, but he could really help sell tickets, bring fans in, and, yeah. and he, like, he was a really good player in his prime, and he still mm-hmm. is a pretty good player and could be a leader for them. As well, if if he really wants to play in the spotlight, and I think this is a bit of a long shot personally in my eyes, but I could see maybe something like this happening. I don't know if they'd do it, but I think the Jays could tr- should I try to go after gonna say the Jays. I know. I just had that feeling where you're like, he's going to mention the Jays, isn't he? He's going to like, well, I, it's a long shot. Yes. But I do think that if the Jays were able to sign him with the money that they have, it would be a huge signing for Toronto. He's a big superstar from the United States. Yes. But we or no, not from the United States, rather, um, from the Dominican Republic. I believe, yeah, he's made it from public. Um, so. so, yes, well, it's a huge sign, I think, for the Blue Jays. And I can, see, I can see it being a possibility, but it's just like, how much money do they really have for a guy? That's the thing. It's like, it would really depend on the money side of things. But personally, yeah. I think if they really wanted to, because right now there's a bit of a debate in Toronto about who's going to be your fourth outfielder. So you obviously have Gurriel playing left probably Tay Oscar in center and Grichik in right field. But yeah. if you tr- pick up a guy 
for cheap enough in Yasiel Puig. I think you could make Teoscar Hernandez the fourth outfielder, put Yasiel Puig in center, and that could be, if it's for a cheap enough contract, I think he would be pretty helpful to try to help push the Jays a bit further along in their rebuild. He can help the younger outfielders out uh, defensively and uh, speed-wise. I think he could be a good veteran presence for them, as well as I think he can be helpful with the bat and a bit of a, I mean, a pretty neutral um, stadium in Rogers Center uh, in compared to like pitchers, pitcher stadiums or hitter stadiums. I think yeah. Toronto is a pretty neutral site for both. And I think that he would fare well in a market like Toronto. And I think Jays fans would really love to have a guy like him and he would love to play in the spotlight in Toronto, right? You have a whole country uh, on your back playing for Toronto. And yeah. I think he would really live up to expectations in that spotlight. So I think if the Jays wanted to offer him a contract that was good enough for his money standards, but also good enough for us that we can fit him under the cap. I think that, uh, I think Yasiel Puig would be a good option for the Jays or the Marlins, honestly. Yeah. And what do you think he's roughly worth? Like, do you think he's worth around, like, in his age and in his prime, is he worth, like, I don't, I'm trying to think, because MLB players are paid an exuberant amount of money, like the good ones. True. True. So, like, he could probably be get away for, like, for at his age and for where he is, I can see maybe being, I'd say, $10 million, maybe a little I would say, long. yeah, 10, 10, million. 10 million, I think, is an accurate contract. I think the Marlins... If it was too cheap, I think the Marlins probably offered him like a one-year, five mil dollar, five million dollar deal. If I would yeah. expect it for what I expect they might have done, mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously because of Yasiel's age, I don't think it's going to be a long contract. Uh, no matter where he signs, it'll probably be max three years. I think. Yeah. Um, and I think probably about ten mil is where you'd yeah. see him. I, I can see him considering that MLB players can make up to like thirty million dollars in their prime. Yeah, the best his age for where he is, you you might lose, you might regress a bit, and depending on the market that you are in, considering markets depends on where you get paid. If you're in New York, you get paid the big bucks. If you're in Boston, you get paid the big bucks. If you're in LA, you get paid the big bucks. But if you're in a small market, like maybe Toronto, like I will not say Toronto's not saying Toronto's a small market, but again, it's Canadian teams, one of the the only MLB Canadian teams. So I think that it's a smaller market. I think that's the big. Yeah, and comparing money wise, definitely New York has a lot more money than Toronto, and. I could see, yeah, for a, for a good contract for Yasiel Puig, I could see him going for three years, 10 mil around there somewhere. Already that wraps up our MLB discussion regarding the Red Sox punishment for the 2019 science-stealing scandal they were involved in and our predictions of possibilities where Yasiel Puig will land. Welcome back to On The Rise Podcast. Now moving on over into some other news in the NBA, of course. The NBA playoffs as of right now would have started by now in the first round would have been uh, going on right now, but it's now for prediction of, or now our time for what if the playoffs were still on our first round predictions analysis for potential series and who would win those series. So going forward over to the NBA standings as of right now and kind of looking through um, who are kind of like, if you look at the potential series of the Bucks would be playing the Magic, Raptors playing the Nets, Celtics playing the Sixers and Miami Heat playing the Pacers. Let's go to the East first. Who do you have winning each matchup and, and how many games? Uh, the Bucks versus the Magic. I think this one's pretty obvious. I think I think everybody's going to be taking the Bucks in this series. I don't see the Magic uh, doing any damage in the playoffs. Obviously, everything we say today is hypothetical, depending on what they do with the playoffs or whatever. Yeah. And this is just if the season, if the playoffs were going on right now, what we think would be going on uh, after the first round. And I think that the Bucks 
might do what the Raptors did last year in the sense that they give up one game at the start to the Magic, but I think either way, the series is over in four or five games to the Bucks. I don't think I, – I can't see the Magic winning more than two games in this series personally, um, unless there's a massive upset, but we don't know on that front. I think the Raptors, for sure, uh, will be beating the Nets. I mean, yes, they could have Kevin Durant back at that point, but I think – Still, the Raptors would be able to take that series over the Brooklyn Nets. Um, although with the injury uh, or with healthy Kevin Durant at that point, I could maybe see it being like a five, six game series personally, but I still think the Raptors are able to take that one either way. Yeah, I, I can see the Raptors winning five, the Bucks definitely winning in four, the Celtics over the uh, 76ers. That would be a good matchup, I think. That would probably go to – that would go to mm, – I would say probably Celtics in six. I wouldn't say go to seven. I think the Celtics win in six. Like Philadelphia wins its two games at home. Boston wins the two games at home. And then Boston, like Boston wins the two games at home. Philly wins the two games at home. And then Boston wins the last two and beat them in six. I think that's my pick. So I could see, I could see that game, uh, that series actually going fully to seven. And I think the Celtics will take that one over the Sixers. I think it'll be a close match. The Celtics are going to have a tough time guarding both Embiid and Simmons and Harris. But I still think that the Celtics will be able to pull it off. I think Jason Tatum's going to have a big series on that front. Mm-hmm. And then looking at the final series in the East here, the Miami Heat versus the Pacers, I think that one's going to be a very underrated matchup because yeah. once the season actually starts, you have to think, okay, Oladipo is a lot healthier now than he was back then. And yeah. if he's training as much as he probably is training, knowing Victor Oladipo, he's going to be back to all-star form by the time the NBA is back. And I think that that's going to be a really – cool storyline to see the matchup of Oladipo versus Butler because those two have been uh, underrated a lot in their careers. And I think that uh, it'll be an interesting matchup to see um, kind of the, uh, those two battle it out for the entire series because both can be de- both have their defensive lapses sometimes, but both are can be also defensively strong. So it's gonna, really going to be a matchup of who can who has the better supporting cast, I think. And I think Personally, the Pacers might have a better supporting cast. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis has had an incredible season. Uh, obviously, was an all-star this year. And I think the Pacers, despite being the lower seed, would upset the Miami Heat in the first round, probably in six or seven games. I can definitely see it being a possibility. Um, like if you look at – and I know we, we – like and this is always talked about as well, is that the, the, under, the, the bench is always underrated, I think, in a playoff – like for playoffs – whoever has the better bench like this, you can have whoever you want on the starters. Like the starters can be all, you can have five all-stars and you get a five all-stars on the starting lineup. But if you don't have a good bench, if one team has a much better bench than the other team, then one team has the advantage because that bench is just going to outperform the other bench. And when you have that happen, teams win games because of benches. And I definitely think that the Pacers could have a, have a deeper bench than the Miami Heat. Now, you can't discount the Miami Heat as a great team overall. Um, there's a reason why they're, four, like they're in the fourth seed right, as of right now at 41 and 24. They've lost 44. Like, the records are very similar. That's the reason why they're, like, they're, fifth, or they're four and five seed. Like, the games back is only two different, so they're only two games back. So I can definitely see, I would say probably Heat, though, will still win the series in seven games. Heat in seven. That's my prediction. The underrated storyline for the Heat, though, this season has been the rookies. And I think, yeah. obviously, the production of uh, not only Tyler Hero, but... Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick, Kendrick Nunn, thank Nunn, you. Yeah. It's been a while since basketball has been on. I kind of forget. Yeah. Either way, I think those two have been an underrated storyline this season. And 
that'll really help push their bench. But at the same time, I think their lack of playoff experience will really set them back as a team. But I think next year they'll have a better chance uh, in the playoffs uh, than this year personally. Alrighty, moving on to the Western Conference. So we have the number one LA Lakers taking on the number eight Memphis Grizzlies. The Clippers taking on the Mavericks. Uh, Nuggets taking on the Rockets. The Utah Jazz, Rockets. Utah Jazz taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. So let's start with the LA Lakers. This is a pretty easy one in my mind. I think the Lakers will take it in five games or six games. They're not going to sweep them because I don't discount John Morant and, of course, you know, Jonas Valanciunas plus uh, oh, former Raptor players are on that team. So we can't discount Jaren Jackson Jr. Yeah, Jaren Jackson, Jackson Jr. Jr. Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to give them a good six games, a good run for their money. Uh, but I still see the Lakers coming out on top. In regards to the Clippers versus Mavericks, I see them winning, I think, in six games, maybe six or five or six games in total. They just have a really good defensive, solid team. The Dallas Mavericks, yes, they have a few stars, but other than that, they don't have a strong supporting cast in my mind, which is going to kind of kill them. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on those first two series? Um, personally, I think that uh, I will agree in the first round that uh, the Lakers and Grizzlies, I think, is going to be definitely not a sweep. I think that it will be five or six games just because yeah. Don Morant is that type of player that can steal you a game here and there. And I mean, he is a rookie, but I don't, I don't think you can discount him um, in those games. And I think when it comes to the Clippers and Mavericks, obviously Doncic is going to steal a few games, I think for the Mavericks, but mm-hmm. in the end, I think the Clippers, uh, the defense of Kawhi and Paul George, Pat Bev, their whole team is really defensively sound. And I think that would be able to, outlast the offense of the Mavericks and realistically help them push the series, probably win it in five or six games, in my opinion. All right, moving on to the next series. You've got the Denver Nuggets versus the Houston Rockets. Now, the Denver Nuggets, I always feel that they don't get enough. They don't, they always get, they don't get enough respect in the playoffs. Obviously, they don't do so well in the playoffs. They do really, they're a really good regular season team. And I think sure. their record sort of doesn't really show how good they are, like how, how poorly they can be in the playoffs. So I wouldn't discount if the Rockets pull off an upset here against the Denver Nuggets as a possibility. I think the Rockets will take it in probably six games over the Denver Nuggets. It would probably be Denver might win two at home. Rockets would win two at home. Then Denver, then the Rockets would win game five and game six. So that would like game five on the road, game six at home to win the series. I could see the possibility. You have James Harden, you have Russell Westbrook, you have a great supporting cast, you have a great bench as well. But it's really hard to tell because I always feel that the, I always give I always give the Nuggets praise. You know, they're a great team. They're an under, they're a sleeper team, but then they just disappoint me in the playoffs. So it's hard to really, I, I think it's, really believe in them. So I think it's a surprise the Rockets are at, uh, so far down in the sixth position for where they could be. I think that uh, injuries here and there uh, have kind James of hurt James season. Harden's injury has hurt them, I think. And uh, Chris Paul, or not Chris, I mean Chris Paul. Game, uh, Russell Westbrook has had to carry that team a lot, I think. Yeah, and I think that, They've, they've, they're in a decent enough position. I think they could be in a better position, but for now, I think they're in a decent enough position. Um, going up against the Nuggets, though, it, I think that game, uh, that series easily goes to seven games. I think mm-hmm. it definitely goes to seven games, and I think that the Nuggets are going to... See, the problem is, is it's hard to contain Harden, and I don't know if the Nuggets have the ability to de- defensively contain James Harden and Russell Westbrook both at the guard mm-hmm. position. So that's why I'm kind of on the fence about who would win that series because I think that uh, obviously uh, the power of Nikola Jokic is going to overpower the Rockets. Uh, obviously losing because yeah, the they're, they're now in the small ball, which I think is which is something to consider as well. But I do think 
now I didn't I totally didn't think about the whole small ball thing but I think that overall I think the Rockets are going to win the series because their ability to shoot threes and their ability to to because yeah they they might not slam dunk and they might not you know lay up all day but if the Nuggets are going to do that that's two points that's two points that's two points every time so they're not really but a big I think that shooting team as well I think I think I'm actually going to go with the Nuggets in seven games just because I think Nikola Jokic is not your everyday center. That's a guy who can drop a triple-double on you, and that's a guy who can easily put up 30, 40, 50 points in a game. And I think he steals that series for the Nuggets and puts them into the second round over the Rockets. Because obviously the small ball works against a team with not a great center because there isn't too, too many great centers in the league anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think Jokic steals that series for the Nuggets. Definitely. Uh, Moving on to the last series, we have the 4-5 and seed, the Utah Jazz versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. A very interesting series. Very close as well. They're only a game back of each other because obviously the four and five seeds are very close together. I have the Utah Jazz winning in seven games here over the Oklahoma City Thunder because I, I trust Donovan Mitchell. I trust Rudy Gobert, a two-time defensive player of the year. Of course, Donovan Mitchell um, as well, a great player as well. So I think that's kind of where I go with uh, – but obviously you can't really discount the Oklahoma City Thunder this past year. They've had an amazing run. Shai Gil, just Alexander has really stepped up as well which is a huge point. For sure. Chris Paul For sure. has been another big player as well. Steven Adams kind of had a rebirth sort of as a player, I think, kind of rebirth as a player. So it, it's really close, but I still see the Utah Jazz winning in seven games only because they have home court advantage and they can win on win in, in, win in seven games at home court or on home court, yeah. I think, I think Utah definitely wins it in six or seven. I think it's going to be really interesting when the season does resume the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on the court. Uh, just because of everything that's happened over the past few weeks. Uh, and obviously, like you were saying, the Thunder with Steven Adams and with Shai Gilgis-Alexander and Chris Paul really all stepping up this season in the absence of Russell Westbrook, obviously. Um, they've really been a surprise uh, pulling into the fifth seed. And I think they're definitely going to push it to six or seven games, but I think the Jazz will narrowly sneak out of this series. And I think they're going to have – a bit of a tough time the rest of the playoffs though but i still yeah, so think going, going into I still the second think, round i think yeah they're, they're gonna have a tough time to see how well they can do because if they have to match up against the lakers in the second round that's mm-hmm. gonna be a really tough matchup for them and i don't see them going too far in this year's playoffs all right moving on to some other news of course well not really news but we kind of thought it'd be a good idea to give out some award winners as of right now in the season so starting with of course we have the mvp award in my mind is the mvp i know you might not, you might disagree with me, you might agree with me, but I think Giannis Antetokounmpo is the unanimous MVP because for what he's doing, a 30 and 30, a player averaging 30 points in 30 minutes, if his caliber, what he's doing in the uh, in the game is what he's done so far this past season, considering everything else, considering they lost certain players, um, and they also regained, they retained some players, but they did lose a big talent as well in Chris Middleton, which was a big loss for them. Um, so I do think that uh, Giannis and Junko is my MVP. I know. I, I think I'm going to agree with you. Luka. I, I, I'm not going to say Luca. I'm going to actually agree with you on that front. I am going to say Giannis should win MVP. Uh, I mean, you could. I, I, I agree that there is a valid argument for Luca. He has really pushed the Mavericks this season. I think there's also an argument a bit for Nikola Jokic. I mean, yeah. he's still uh, – you still got to credit the play of Jamal Murray and the rest of yeah. the Nuggets team, but Jokic really pushed that team over the edge um, talent-wise, and I can see him getting a few votes here and there. But ultimately, I think Giannis will take the cake on this one again this year. 
Uh, moving on over into the next award, a hotly debated award, is Rookie of the Year. I know there's been a lot of talk about this, but I do think that J John Morant should unanimously be Rookie of the Year. People saying, oh, Zion Johnson should be Rookie of the Year. No, if Zion Johnson came at the beginning, if he played at the beginning of the year and was producing the way that he has been and produced for next number of months, averaging 15-plus points a game and 10 rebounds a game, then maybe, yeah. But because of his injury, it has killed his ability to win Rookie of the Year. I know people are still going to say, oh, he's still a great player. And he came in, you know, during that time. It's like, no, John Morant deserves to win this award for Rookie of the Year. And the, and One underrated storyline of the entire quarantine is the fact that Kendrick Nunn called out John Morant, John Morant pretty much and the rest of the rookie class saying that on, I can't remember what it was on, but he basically said straight up that he believes he is the rookie of the year because of the amount of wins they have this season. And I mean, it's a fair argument saying that wins does matter, but at the same time, you really have to look at rookie of the year is the best rookie player. And that has to be John Morant this season. He yeah. has put in, up incredible numbers as a rookie. Consider, he's considering that who he has on his team as well. Because you have to think about, like, it's similar to the, sort of the MVP award. It's like, yeah, you can be a great player. But, like, if you think – look at all the star-studded talent on that Miami team. You have Hassan Whiteside. You have uh, Jimmy Butler. You have Tyler Hero, another rookie as well. You have you don't have Hassan Whiteside. You don't have Hassan Whiteside Hassan Whiteside anymore. is he's gone. The, Sorry. He's with Portland. Yeah, he's with Portland. My bad. You're thinking out of you, you still have a star-studded Miami team, and there's a reason why they're a fourth seed. Because yes, they have a great amount of talent. Yes, Kendrick Perkins, or no, not Kendrick Perkins, Kendrick Nunn. Kendrick Nunn <laughs> is a rookie, and why he's a possibility of a rookie year. I can definitely see even Tyler Hero being a possibility on the even team on the team for being a candidate for rookie of the year. But considering where the uh, where he's taking this, uh, where has where Jam Ryan has taken the team, I think that he is the rookie of the year in my mind. He has really led the Memphis Grizzlies this season. And based off of all the points he has put up, based off of all the awards or like all the accolades he's racked up in his first season, I think, and even some of like the highlights, he has put up some incredible highlights that really could bet it, like that in some moments. If he landed a few of those dunks, like the one I know you love of him jumping over uh, Kevin Love and almost slamming it down on him, that would have been a legendary play if he made that one fall. Yeah. And I think it really shows that he is a highlight real player and he is the top rookie in, in this class. Definitely. Okay. Over into coach of the year award. There's a lot of choices here and I know I'm a Raptors fan, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say Nick Nurse again, but I say Frank Vogel actually. Frank Vogel is my pick for coach of the year. Here's why. Here's why you have, you have LeBron James. Yes. You do have a lot of star style talent, but you have a lot of high, you have a lot of personalities on the team and you have to manage those personalities. You have LeBron James, you have Anthony Davis, um, you have Rajon Rondo, you have um, a number of players. I was about to say Lonzo Ball, but he's not on the team anymore. But you have Dwight another, you, um, yeah, you, yeah, he's over in New Orleans now. But you have a lot of star-studded right. talent and a lot of a, type A personality guys. And to manage that, and considering that, yes, you have a few superstars, you have a really good team, and you should, but I think that they, he just has to be considered as coach of the year in my mind. That's, that's my pick. I, I know I shouldn't be going against Nurse Nick Nurse is a you know, big coach considering they've lost all they've lost and stuff like that. But I still think that Frank Vogel has my vote for coach of the year. What do you think? I know I'm a Raptors fan and I know it could be seen as biased, but 100% completely unbiased opinion. The fact that Nick nurse should be coach of the year. He has taken this team to a place. Nobody at the start of the season thought they could go. He brought this team, his defensive, his defensive coaching game plan has shown the league that, okay, the Raptors don't need Kawhi. They don't need Danny Green. They can perform at a high level without those two. And everybody going into the season had the Raptors. Now making the playoffs, eighth seed, seventh seed, whatever. Yeah. Nobody could have seen the Raptors 
make the second seed and do as well as they have this season. And I think that has to be accredited to Nick Nurse's ability to coach this team to success. His defensive game plan has really shown that it can work well against a lot of the star players in the league. And I think that really pushes the Raptors over the edge in comparison to some teams. And I think that's what pushes Nick Nurse over the edge for coach of the year rather than Frank Vogel. Okay, that's a fair argument. I, I could take your points on there as well to see. I don't know. It, it's interesting to tell because I think like Nick Nurse won it last year. So I think like even though it's like you could say, well, Mike Budenholzer should win again this year, but then again, he won last year. So it's like, I feel like they're like, you can't like, you could win it two years in a row, but I think they almost kind of like, they look at the best team of that year and they kind of, okay, I think based on last season and now to, last, now to this season, he's a top pick. So I think that Frank Vogel was my pick. Uh, moving on over to some other awards, we still have the Defensive Player of the Year Award, and Rudy Gobert won it last year. But I'm trying to think of who kind of who you're uh, who are you thinking of this year's Defensive Player of the Year? It's tough. It's 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 honestly tough because a lot of the top defensive players that I think could win it, um, like a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George, have been injured too much this season. Yeah. And personally, I think there, as much as I think there are two candidates for it, and I don't know entirely if they deserve it or not I still think that they should be considered the best defensive players of the year and that has to be Giannis and Anthony Davis I think they underratedly can guard any position on the court they can guard a tall guard they can guard a big center either way and I think that their versatility on defense and their ability to get blocks and steals I think that really puts them up there in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation for sure. I would definitely agree with you, Giannis. And I would say Giannis more because maybe he's a little more uh, mobile than Anthony Davis. Because like Anthony Davis, of course, like having those injuries as well. But I think that Giannis is kind of that uh, sleeper pick for a Defensive Player of the Year considering his, his ability to play not only offensively, but his deep offensive defense ability and the fact that he can turn defense into offense as well, which is a big thing, a part of defense the game. But obviously, Rudy Gobert is always going to be up there. He's a could win it for um, a third time as well. But I do think that uh, Giannis could be a possible winner for now. The last one we have um, is of course, most improved player. Now Pascal Siakam won it last year. Who were your, cause there's a lot of players on the Raptors that I think could win most improved player. Because if you look at from last season to this season without Kawhi Leonard, without Danny Green, obviously their averages have gone up for points, but it's a massive upgrade. And I think Norman Powell, could be considered most improved player because if he's doubled his number from like around eight to nine points per game to now 16 plus points per game, which is insane. So I think when you double your points like that, considering all his numbers, he has my vote for, and obviously, yes, I'm a Raptors fan. You can say, Oh, this is biased. No, I honestly think that he is one of the most improved players of this year. There are three players I think have a chance of winning it. Number one, obviously, like you said, Norm Powell, I think the way he has put up points this season has been incredible compared to his past seasons, especially even though he has battled through an injury here or there, but I feel like he has persevered a lot this season and has and shown a lot of improvement. Uh, my second choice, honestly, is um, Pascal Siakam again. Personally, I think even though he had a great season last year. He's improving uh, even more this year, I think. He's improving even more this year, and he's averaging almost 30. Like, he's averaging upwards of 25 points a game. He's aver- He's doing a lot better this season, especially now that – Kawhi is gone. He has really filled the role well. And mm-hmm. I think that most improved wise, he is up there, even though he won the award last year. And I think you got to give it to Shai Gilgis Alexander as well. He is oh, really hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. You have, you have to give credit where credit is due. He has done incredibly well in the, uh, on the Oklahoma city thunder this year. And I think that he really is. If obviously I don't know if the Raptors two, the Raptors two players will win it, but if anybody else in the league 
is going to win it. I think it has to be Shia Gilgis Alexander for the work uh, he's I would definitely agree, considering the year that he's had compared to this, that from last year to this year, the improvement that he's had and where his team is now, uh, now in the playoffs as well, which is a huge thing, or staying in the playoffs, with the help of Chris Paul, I think definitely he would have my vote for most improved player. Alrighty, that wraps up our ML NBA discussion regarding the what-if playoff situation and our award winner as of right now. Moving on over into our last topic of the day, not really NHL news, but hockey news as well. The IHF has unveiled the groups for the 2022 Olympic hockey, or Olympic hockey. Um, so, of course, in the men's hockey, we have Group A. We have Canada, USA, Germany, and China. Canada ranked number one, USA sixth, Germany seventh, China twelfth. Group B is Russia second ranked, Czech Republic fifth, Switzerland eighth, and uh, the qual and the qual of course the qualifier three, which would be eleventh. Then Group C, we have Finland, Sweden, qualifier one would be ninth ranked, and qualifier two would be tenth ranked. Those are kind of because like, they're still missing two qualifiers or three qualifiers. And then for the women's hockey, they have Group A that USA ranked one, Canada ranked ranked two, Finland three, Russia four, Switzerland five. Group B, Japan six, uh, qualifier one would be ranked seven, qualifier two ranked eight, qualifier three uh, ranked nine, and China is in dead last. So they have, they they've qualified, but they're not even they they've ranked up actually at the bottom, which is interesting. So what are your thoughts? What are your first initial thoughts on first? Let's start with the men's hockey for Group A, B, and C. Personally, I was surprised they put uh, Canada and USA in the same group. I think that there should have been a bit of I, I feel like. Uh, there should have been a bit of diversity, but honestly, USA being ranked sixth, some people might take that as a surprise as how good USA hockey is usually. But if you look at the teams ahead of them, uh, you have Canada, which I still think Canada is superior to the U.S. in hockey at the moment. Russia, I think you can't argue their play in the, uh, in the Olympics over the past few years, yeah. as well as their play in the World Juniors has been outstanding, and I think they have to get credit for that. Number three and four, Finland, Finland Sweden. They have been incredible the past uh, few World Juniors, and Sweden obviously has been on an incredible run in the World Juniors, mm -hmm. uh, despite not winning gold. Uh, and the only one that surprised me a little bit was the Czech Republic being ahead of the U.S. I feel like they could have. Uh, I feel like the Czech Republic should have been sixth, USA uh, fifth. But yeah. uh, either way, I can see why they didn't want to have Russia and U.S. in the same uh, same division. So I could. Uh, I, I think that where they place the teams is fair. And I feel that it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, Canada and USA in the same group uh, playing, yeah. uh, playing before they even get to the, uh, uh, the gold medal or bronze medal game, or just even in the quarterfinals, whatever. And I think it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting no matter what, because I think Russia and um, Russia and Finland and Sweden are going to have a bit of an advantage compared to Canada and USA, because Obviously, a lot of players in the NHL haven't been permitted to play in the 2022 mm -hmm. Olympics. And I think mean, that's really going to put a damper because Canada's hockey is probably the best. If you, if, you put, if you compiled a team of all the Canadian players versus all the Russian players versus all the USA players in the world, uh, whether that be KHL or NHL or whatever, I think Canada should be the best team on that list. But because of the NHLers not being able to go to the 22, uh, 2022 Olympics, I think that Russia, Finland, and Sweden will have a bit of an advantage there just based off of their KHL and Swiss League and Definitely. a lot of players outside of the NHL. And I think that as well, the Americans would have an advantage based on their uh, their play of the collegiate, the, based on the fact that they do have a lot of college-level or Well, they, I guess they'd be, they'd be post-college players, but like still, they do have a lot of talent outside of the NHL. But I think that U.S. and Canada would heavily rely on the NHL um, 
as their as their main talent. So when you look at like when you go back to 2014, I think that was the last year that the NHL were sending players. The last Olympics season wasn't 2018. That was the last year they sent. 2018 they decided not to, I believe. 2014 was the year, and we still won. I'm or, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we pretty I'm trying to remember if we won. I know we won in 2010. That's all that matters. But yeah, so you can tell that Canada is a winning team, and when you have NHL players of that degree, you have an amazing team. Um, oh, so yeah. I do think you, a lot you, of the players, a lot of the players have now moved on and stuff like that. But when you think about still the talent that is in Canadian hockey, I would say, and I agree with the uh, ranking in regards. The only thing I would say I would change was Czech Republic and USA, like you said, because I think USA is still a little bit better than the Czech Republic, and I think that's a bit of an insult to USA hockey for them to not be ranked higher than the Czech Republic. Other than that, I think it's interesting to put them together. It's 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 good to create rivalry as well, uh, like not like a rival bit of uh, bit of. Uh, preamble to uh, possibility facing off in the gold medal match like you said as well um so that's kind of my thoughts on this moving over to the women's hockey we have usa and canada again in the same group but what's interesting is it's like they basically put all the good teams together and all the bad teams so like yeah i was kind of like what's like usually you put two really good teams and you put the rest like the bad teams or like decent teams or you pick like two, like you put four good teams, two in each group, and then you put two like bottom feeder teams. So you, I would say you probably do USA, Finland, Ru- Canada, Russia in group A and group B is like the one and two, and then you probably put like Japan and qualifier two in group A, and then you have qualifier one and three in group B with China or like something like that. In my mind, it just I don't see a possibility of why this was made like this, and I don't understand why. Like I'm trying to get your thoughts on this. Well, what do you think this? What they're thinking yeah, was on this? Yeah, I don't know entirely why either. Really, I guess it really depends on how they set up the playoff playoff format for like the quarterfinals and semifinals mm-hmm. and gold medal and bronze medal games. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's it's really an interesting setup, and I mean, it means that for like being a, can- a Canadian fan, it's going to be mean. There's a lot of exciting games uh, very early on in the tournament for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really just it's going to be interesting to see like how how really the teams will stack up because um you might not see a Canada USA you might not see a Canada USA final you might not yeah. see a Canada Russia final you might see somebody you might see like a Canada Japan or one <laughs> of the other qualifiers that still uh, are waiting to be announced right like yeah. you it really depends on how they set up the uh, uh really depends on how they set up the rest of the tournament i think but either mm-hmm. way i think I think Canada definitely has a pretty good shot to win this year's uh, 2020 hockey tournament. And obviously as well with women's hockey, uh, recent news anyways, uh, they just announced an expansion team uh, in the NWHL into Canada, which I think is huge for the sport and for women's hockey ever since the CWHA or LHL, whatever, uh, the Canadian Women's Hockey League closed down. Right. I think that that's really, that's a big step for the NWHL and, it's going to be exciting to have a uh, women's hockey team back in Toronto, especially after what happened with the Canadian Hockey League. Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to see as well. Already that wraps up our NHL or IHF, IAHF uh, discussion regarding the 2022 Olympic hockey groups for the Olympics coming up. This has been episode 32 of the On The Rise podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website, ontherisepodcast.ca and at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all our Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.